Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview Dr. Archer Ting and Dr. Ryan Ting. Uh, Dr. Archer Ting is the MD in Archer Ting Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine located in Fremont, California. And then uh, Ryan Ting is an MD, MPH, and Medical Director at Archer Ting Orthopedic Surgery as well. So uh, guys, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having us. Great. So very quickly, what I want to discuss with you guys is first quickly your background and then your clinic, and then we'll talk about how you guys are athletes in terms of injury prevention, recovery, and then we'll get into the best practices uh, for injury prevention. So uh, first, can you guys maybe give you a, a quick background about yourself very quickly? Yeah, so uh, Julian, this is Dr. Arthur Tang. I'm uh, the orthopedic surgeon, uh, been in practice for over 38 years in Fremont, California, a private orthopedic clinic specializing in sports medicine, been involved in, uh, numerous uh, professional teams through either associates or directly. Uh, I've worked with uh, all, you know, all the proteins in the area. Um, we been the team doctor, uh, head team physician, CMO for MotoGP that's been in the area. Uh, worked in 1984 Olympic games in LA. Um, you asked me prior to this uh, patient list have operated on Tiger Woods, Joe Montana, Yao yep. Ming, and Barry Bonds uh, as a few uh, the the better known athletes. But anyway, we've been here. We've provided care uh, not only for professional athletes, club athletes, high school, amateur, etc., dancers motorsports, everything you can imagine. Okay. So, uh, have a full facility here, which includes a clinic, uh, surgery center and, uh, physical therapy and rehab and Ryan runs the rehab. I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So Ryan. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, so my name is Ryan Ting. Um, I have, um, so I teamed up with my, my father, who's the orthopedic sports medicine surgeon, um, about ten years ago, um, I am the med- I serve as the current medical director of this of our functional orthopedic sports performance rehabilitation center. Um, if you can imagine, our practice um, deal is it deals with um, the clinic side and, and the rehabilitation side, um, where we actually also train fully functional athletes um, who may or may not be injured. Um, a little bit of background of um, I went to University of Southern California for undergrad. I yeah. where I where I competitively played collegiate football. Um, I won two national championships under Pete Carroll, um, which okay. I'm very which I'm very proud of, um, and in which I I've, I've learned a lot from 
under Coach Carolyn, I've I've been able to translate and transfer um, some of his teachings and um, methodologies to to our practice as well. Um, and then I went um, in terms of my academic career, I went on did a two year post baccalaureate MD program for USC, and then went on to get my um, medical degree. I also have um, a master's in public health. Uh, we take the utmost I guess pride in in proactive preventative strategies um, to public health, especially when it involves and addresses um, orthopedic injuries, especially chronic non-contact injuries, which we will we will um, dive into later um, in terms of our preventative aspects of our practice. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about my background. Okay, great. So th thank you for that. So. One thing that I, I love to hear more about from you guys is how do you guys have athletes in terms of, especially injury prevention, uh, and the other side of it is recovery. So I know you've got a kind of a unique way of, of uh, you know, as far as injury prevention, right? So anybody wants to start? Yeah. About that? Yeah. So this is uh, Arthur Tay again speaking. I uh, am a traditional sports medicine orthopedic surgeon who. Does, has been in practice, like I said, and the things that we do different and the thing that we feel that we're the best at what we do are, is the uh, prevention part of this. And I'll just give you a sim real quick, simple example. We know what the mechanism of a non-contact ACL injury is, yeah. okay, based on biomechanics and all the studies that have been done. It usually involves a hyperextended uh, knee with valgus thrust, with uh, body weight behind the center of mass or center of gravity behind the planted foot. Uh, it's been shown uh, thousands of times through uh, studies that this is the most common way of yep. a non-contact ACL. I know the mechanism of injury. The patient comes in. Uh, we get the MRI as a diagnostic tool. We do the exam, we confirm the injury, I do the surgery, the patient undergoes rehab, and then the patient goes back and does the exact, returns to the exact same environment and does it again. So yeah. how do we prevent this from happening? Now I do the surgery, I know that part, I know the mechanism of injury, but how do we specifically address the recurrence? Through the rehab, we've developed knowledge of what that patient should be doing. In the early stages of rehab, everything is really done with controlled movement. Mm -hmm. We don't want the patient to run crazy-legged back out on the field immediately where they can slip or recreate the injury. The injury. Yeah, so yeah, during this process, we have found that there's a lot of things that are lacking in terms of retraining that athlete. And it's all physics, physiology, kinesiology based. And so the science is there. It's just not being coached as we, we've seen. So but why do you think it's not being coached? Because they don't know, they don't have the knowledge. What do you yeah. think is the issue? The issues is the connection between what the doctor knows and, and the physical therapist knows 
in oh, terms of mechani mechanism of injury, but the coach doesn't really know what that means. So there's I a just like in any recovery, there's a transition. The hardest transition is from the physical therapy or the training room back to the field. Yeah. Okay. The coach is coaching X's and O's. We're talking football, but you know they're they're scheming up diagrams on play. They're not showing the athlete the proper stance that is more conducive to prevention of the ACL. Most mm -hmm. of those things have been traditional ways, but with tweaking it slightly makes a huge difference. They use yeah. the term leverage or running downhill. What does that really mean? Okay. I'm going to let Ryan get into that because, and the more elite the athlete is, mm -hmm. the less the margin there is between what I like to say, explosive movement or wrong movement and proper movement, okay? Being elite, the margins are very low. Whereas if you're not elite and you're just a kid starting out, then you can correct running stride length, you know, hand movement, stride. It's a lot easier and it's visually obvious. Yeah. But the more elite you are, and like I, like I presented the Odell Beckham, yeah there previously and he recre he recreated the exact mechanism of injury non-contact not once but twice but twice and it's simply because his center of mass is behind his base of support basically his center of gravity is behind his foot plant Okay. So does that does that mean that he has to 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 learn how to maybe run again or train again or it's like you know running how to walk again or running right. again? And, and I think that's how the program actually started. So in terms of, I think there's to answer your question uh, in the most simplistic ways, respectfully, um, there's a there's a gap between medical practice, the practitioners, yeah. and and the trainers, the actual coaches. On there's you have these experts, brilliant people who are orthopedic sports medicine surgeons. Um, they understand the root cause of injury. They know how to treat it. They know how to fix and do surgery of an ACL and reconstruct it. Yeah. And they understand, obviously, the root cause. The issue is there's a gap on, okay, if you understand the root cause as an orthopedic surgeon, can you actually train an athlete to prevent that movement? And right. a lot of times, respect, respectfully, um, that there's a gap there and then the coaches may not understand the root cause or the mechanism of injury from a medical standpoint so you have these two gaps where you got it's a slippery slope but like my dad said the margin of error for a, an explosive fast twitch athlete like obel beckham jr who i love as an athlete yeah is very fine but then you have an explosive athlete right who's if if you make one false move have weight distribution offices slightly with that yeah. amount of explosiveness it's a recipe for in a in a high risk injury in a high intense sport which involves explosive change of direction so then then you ask a a, a, a fair question how do you prevent the injury you have yeah. to educate the athlete educate the patient through a stepwise instruction instructions 
how to leverage body weight when you decelerate, change direction, and you have impulsive um, impact. So you can, for chronic soft tissue injuries, that's a different conversation. You have to address impact control and load management. Those are the two parameters we we um, address. I always make the analogy of you you take Arnold Schwarzenegger in his yeah. prime, world's probably strongest man, right? And you put him up against Muhammad Ali, and you give both of them a jump rope. Please believe Muhammad Ali will have less chronic inflammation because he's more functional as an athlete. The, the issue that I have with a lot of athletes who come into our facility is even though they are the prowess of bodybuilding and strength and conditioning, I'm not disregarding the prowess of that, but I, I will say there's there has to be more emphasis on functionality, dynamic movement, right? And impact control. Please believe Arnold Schwarzenegger will have pain and he probably cannot jump rope as good as a heavyweight fighter Mm-hmm. Was, say lightweight feet lightweight feet means you're in control so that's how you control your weight balance your weight transfer your weight distribution so that your center of mass which my my dad and i define your center of mass as if you put your hands on your hips your center of mass is superior to your hands just arbitrarily speaking and then your base of support is your waist or your hips down if your base of support is out in front and your center of mass is behind you on an yeah. explosive movement where you're planting or cutting or decelerating, then that's a recipe for an ACL injury. So you're basically overstriding with your weight, mo- the majority of your mass behind you. Yeah. Odell Beckham will, he'll, I mean, I, I love him as an athlete. He's the most explosive athlete, in my opinion. He's the best at what he does. But in my opinion, from a sports performance standpoint and from a medical standpoint, he is higher risk than a slow twitch, slower athlete for the right reasons, of course. But if you're that explosive, you have to be that much more in control of your body weight, your weight transfer. And if he's coming back stronger, faster, in the best shape of his life after two ACL injuries, I don't ever disregard that. But the fact of the matter is it, he can come back stronger and faster. But if he doesn't allow himself to control his body weight, it's yeah. going to, he could re- he could tear it a third time. So for us, we have a strict curriculum on biomechanics. We have a strict curriculum on educating athletes on where their weight distribution should be, where their leverage should be. It's not just postural changes. You have to be – it's a slippery slope. You have to break down the technique. And you have to identify the stress point. This, when symptoms arise from traditional medicine, it's very reactive. That, that's why I'm very passionate about uh, when, I, when I went back to school to get my master's degree in public health. Because traditional Western medicine, it's very reactive. You, you present with the patient who comes into our clinic. You're presenting with, say, four or six months of chronic knee pain. And yeah. in a younger individual, it would be Osgood Slaughter. In an older adult, it'd be, it would be, or for NBA athlete that we may treat, their agent sends them in, it would be patella tendonitis, right? Shin splint, yeah. patella tendonitis, 
um, stress fractures um, in the in the foot. Um, these are all chronic injuries because of stress points and chronic pain. Where do you get the stress point? Lack of impact control and lack of understanding of load management. So if you can address those things, then all these, as my dad would say, they're self-inflicted. Chronic overuse injuries, even though it sounds abrasive, they're self-inflicted. If you change the individual and, and teach him how to control his body under sh- proper um, movement, ad- we call it adaptive movement. If, if you address and teach athletes adaptive mobility and exercises, they, it'll tr- directly transfer and translate to the court or to the field or whatever sport they respectively participate in competitively. But the issue is we can't – a situation is like this. You can't mimic um, a high-intensity ten- high change-of-direction situation. But you can put athletes, and what my dad said, you could put them through exercises that are what I call skill skill to drill. Skills to drill is means you you teach athletes and educate them about the skills that you're about to teach them, and then you drill it based on repetitive movement where they have proper leverage, proper weight distribution, and then make sure that you educate them on the right and wrong way to do it. And then the most efficient way to do it, because who who would suggest, you could you could arbitrarily say like this is the right way or this is the wrong way. But in every coach has their own philosophy. From a sports performance standpoint, our right way is what is the least amount of stress. How do you get through this drill, through this workout, through this footwork, um, footwork drill, which you all see on Instagram, like that fastest the most explosive drills are not necessarily the best drills based off of impact. So we want to make sure that impact control is addressed, body mechanics are addressed, and is this athlete going through this drill in the, with the most efficient technique, biomechanics as possible? If they're overexpended, if they're overworking and they're counterproductive, then that's a recipe for stress, a, a stress point. And if you continuously put athletes through these stress points, harder, faster, stronger, then you have an athlete or a patient that comes in to see our clinic and they're wondering why they're having chronic pain. Or they can rest for four weeks, get physical therapy, right? Get all the therapeutic modalities, which are all band-aids in my opinion, and then after four weeks of rest, please believe they will feel better, right? Because they're not doing anything. But we, my dad has implemented, I have implemented a program that we want our athletes going through therapeutic activities through active recovery and active rest so that they're doing controlled movement and they're learning more about adaptive mobility exercises. We're creating less stress points and being more efficient. And as they heal, so they're not just sitting at home, icing, resting, and elevating, right? Because you're deconditioning the athlete's cardiovascular system. You want to still optimize an athlete's cardiovascular system without shutting them down completely. So you can modify, right, and, res- and still restrict and still follow protocols, 
but still keep athletes going. Um, but the, I'm, I mean, that's essentially from a sports performance standpoint, we try to be patient centric. We bio individualize and tailor a program for the individual. It's not a one size fits all. And then we're proactive and preventative about empowering athletes through this education that look, we understand that it's, can't, we can't replicate or mimic high intensity situations, but we can put them through controlled movement where they can at least apply and transfer these tactical movements and exercises to so that they are less vulnerable in terms of maladaptive body weight stances, body maladaptive movements under stress. Yeah, I think I understand. one of the simple ways to explain it is, as you know, with uh, things like uh, uh, catapult and McCloy yeah. and these uh, load load uh, tracker track GPS yeah tracker yeah. So a lot of a lot of teams will monitor load management through mm-hmm. technologies and data. Okay, what we want to do is decrease the impact. What Ryan's saying is he's showing the athletes just in changing their movement and their body position, he can decrease impact so they can tolerate more time with with less less impact. And less stress. Okay, so instead of just keeping track of the loads, how do we get the athlete to decrease impact and therefore decrease load and keep keep the the uh, capability of volume of work and rest mo- more yes so instead of just saying once he hits this amount um, measuring load management yeah we we can show them how they can decrease load by implementing better mechanics and movement and body control body control i think the, yeah the biggest the biggest um aspect of our training because a lot of times a lot of trainers and this is this is i and respectfully they they're they they're great at what they do but sometimes they miss the mark on the medical aspect of like my dad said load management mm-hmm. so if you can do a high intensity training program and you can address, look, we want the grit and grind. We get that. We want you to become stronger faster. But if you put your athletes through a strength and conditioning program and it compromises your functionality, your dynamic ability, then you're just training bodybuilders. Arnold Schwarzenegger cannot play on a high school volleyball team, even in his prime. He I mean, can't, he said he was too big. I mean, I think he was not. That, right? so what what yeah, I'm saying is control his movement. He can't, he, if you compro, if you compromise functionality and dynamic movement, then strength does not matter. Right. You need to preserve speed. You need to preserve functionality. And if you're getting stronger and stiffer and, and out of control, then you have a recipe again for injury. So, again, the the way we we I mean we address it we we love the fact that there's therapeutic modalities out there. 
Um, we believe in them. They're science backed. I'm, and I know you mentioned the technology that we've implemented. Recovery. Yeah. We have, we. No, she don't, you know, the, the, yeah. I was going to say the technology don't address the root cause. Exactly. Property. They're just monitoring, but they don't tell you how to correct it so you don't get hurt again. Exactly. So they are temporarily, obviously, band-aids. They, they are, they do work. We, we advocate for them. They're science-backed. They're proven. Um, we use contrast therapy with compression. They call them vasopneumatic air compression. We, we do deep heat laser. Um, we do ultrasound. We, we even have a cryo chamber that we advocate yeah. for. We are proponents of what, how, of what works for the individual. We, we, we embrace bio-individualism and bio-individuality but because some some athletes and patients they respond differently, as yeah. because we're uniquely different genetically, yeah. right? We respond differently. We're all di- unique individuals. So we try to provide as much technology, latest of technology as we can, the most up to date. We even use blood flow restriction bands um, to decrease load management because they can lower the anaerobic threshold for athletes to participate um in activities and still create um the response that you need for muscle building and cardiovascular activity so we do must we do that we also do um vibrational um application through the power plate uh, which helps with inflammatory processes to decrease inflammation all our modalities address inflammation so if you can address and invest in any technology that doesn't disrupt tissue, soft tissues, um, and it and it addresses the decrease of inf- inflammation. That is something that everyone should invest yeah, in. Let me, let me, uh, Julian. Before I forget, we get off really get off track here. I want to go back to the Beckham analogy and mechanism and injury. Yeah. And we're going to get criticized for that just because he was reaching back for a pass. In both cases. So should we say, hey, he shouldn't have caught the ball and let the ball go? Or should he make an athletic movement and catch the ball? What Mm -hmm. we're saying is that what Ryan does is he makes that movement feel uncomfortable to the athlete. Mm -hmm. Because we've identified what the mechanism of injury is. We don't practice getting hurt we don't practice that movement mm-hmm. so if he wants to do it in the super bowl where it really counts and it matters then he may have to do that but what we do what ryan does is those kind of movements are are labeled as high risk as high risk and therefore yeah. the athlete because if you asked him what he did wrong he would say i didn't do anything wrong i caught the ball as with Kyler Murray, oh, he was planning when he was planning, but he doesn't realize he was not his body weight so, was not forward. He was not running downhill. So, what basically what what so we're saying is we're, that we educate the athlete so that we help them guide that we we empower them that those those stances when your body your lower extremities are out in front, yeah, even when you break down or change direction. It should be the opposite. The leverage should be maintained. It should be instilled. It should be through repetitive 
adaptive mobility exercises. It should be maintained throughout all these explosive change directions and decelerations, even when you plant. The issue is the body weight distribution is off. Yeah, so it's we, very yeah. maladaptive. Yeah, we want the athlete to be able to understand that he's in a bad position as opposed to not even knowing, hey, I'm catching this ball no matter what. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants on a competitive field. Yeah. At least at your own risk. At, but at least he understands that, hey, this is not a good movement right. for so, me. This position is off. It, I mean, avoiding those, yeah. for those vulnerable situations is the key. Yes. But if, if I think from a public health standpoint, if these if athletes are unaware, which every athlete that I, I, I that I meet and I work with, they, yeah. they there's a lack of, I guess, curriculum, lack of knowledge and a lack of education on the pre- injury preventative standpoint from soft tissue injuries. And then if if you have a higher risk injury. Or I mean, you have a if you have a faster, more elite athlete, then you really have to tighten up that control factor. And and when I talked to the 49ers maybe four months ago on their chronic soft tissue injuries, um, I made the analogy of of a sports car. Okay, so everyone knows the MVP of the Super Bowl is Cooper Cup, but then mm-hmm. if you compare Cooper Cup, if you put Cooper Cup and Jerry Rice, who's a Hall of Famer football player in the same category and then you you take odell beckham jr right in another category on paper on a combine sheet cooper cup and jerry rice who are both goats respectfully they're a lot slower than odell beckham jr who runs probably sub four four in the 40 yard dash jerry rice and cooper cup they're known for this they're known that they're not as fast as as they should be on a combine sheet Right. Mm-hmm. So if you if you say that Cooper Cup and Jerry Rice are say they're they're slower vehicles, say let's take our let's just arbitrarily say it's they're Toyota Camrys, and mm-hmm. then you take Odell Beckham Jr., who we can say he's a Ferrari, just based yeah. off speed. With respectfully, right? Because I I love them as athletes, but if you take them and you race them, Odell Beckham will win. Right. But right. then if, if you tell them, look, all these three cars in a race, they're all stick shift. And OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. cannot drive stick. Who's winning that race? And Jerry Rice and Cooper Cup can, who are a lot slower and they can sure. drive stick. The Camry's winning all day. But even though Odell could probably still, I mean, he's faster, he's higher performance. But what I'm saying is, if you know how to drive your vehicle, your body, right, yeah. you're more technically sound, you're more intentional with your movements, you're more intentional when you upshift and downshift, right, you're more mindful, you're more purposeful, and you're more engaged, and you're more in control than someone who's never driven stick, right, who might, that might, that might be an afterthought, and I'm talking athleticism here, mm-hmm. I'm not saying OBJ is not a technician, because I, I love him as an athlete. I'm just saying that Jerry Rice and Cooper Cup, they were known to be efficient technical route runners, right? Who have, yeah. who in my opinion have a lot of, who have 
control of their bodies. So I'm not saying Odell Beckham doesn't have control. I'm saying that in more explosive, high-performance athletes who are faster, that margin of error, like my dad said, is that much smaller. So in terms of control, I athletes better know how to drive stick with their bodies. Sure. I mean, you can, you, yeah, and you can take the analogy of Tom Brady, right, where it's very slow. Exactly. Maybe he had better control of his body than all the quarterbacks. He's lasted longer, right? Yeah. And, and best, all that. The best athletes that we've seen, and we say best sub- subjectively, it, it, we say best meaning long years, long careers. Yeah. Right. So the the athletes that have been part of our practice who have been ten years and and plus ten years or more careers in hard sports, like have the best body control, have the have the most efficient training, off-season training, um, I guess, protocols or programs, and they're very efficient and fluid when they move. They're not counterproductive. The most functional athletes we actually have in our facility are not our professional football players. They're not our NBA basketball players. They're our 12, 13, 14-year-old elite gymnasts. Interesting. When you think of gymnasts, they – they engage in different events and it involves balance, stability, flexibility, oh, yeah, and, sure. and body strength proportionate to their own body weight. They're not bodybuilders balancing on a balance beam. They're proportionally able to support their own body weight. Yep. And, and dancers. Dancers are our most functional athletes because they're they're flexible they have the best movement they have the best best movement movement, control body control and they're light on the feet yeah one one example i want to give you okay to 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 kind of reinforce what we're saying Uh, we'll go back and this is the one i use all the time go back to the 2008 olympic trials in the 200 meters usa yeah had the fastest guys in the world at the time maurice green and michael johnson yeah both, i remember that both in the same race the trials the top two guys go to the olympics michael johnson in the middle of the turn tears his hamstring maurice green tears his calf for lack of a better diagnosis on the back straight away so my question is to the athletes and the coaches is why did this happen they didn't stretch enough. Yeah. They were hydrated. They, uh, you know, certainly they, the coaching wasn't off. They had the best coaches, best nutritionists, best yeah. everything. And those two guys didn't even finish the race, and yet they had the two fastest times in the world. So I go, oh, yeah. What? What? Why did they? Why did they not even? Be, why weren't they even able to finish the race? And it's because of loss of control. It's when they started to open up their stride and they pushed their bodies beyond their limits. Okay. But by not having, by losing control or using poor mechanics, they both injured themselves, self-inflicted injuries, right? Yeah. That's why I say in a Peloton, it's probably the best device because you can't. You will never pull a hamstring or calf on a peloton because the motion's so controlled. And you and it would if it confines you and restricts yeah. you to a very safe range of motion. Okay, 
There's other three factors like we commonly use to explain why did that happen? It's and these things you can't do anything about. There's a genetic component where these athletes both were high fast twitch individuals. That's genetically established. Okay. And then the injury occurred at two joint muscles. You know, it's usually um, in the case of the hamstring, it's your hip and the knee, meaning the muscle both controls knee flexion and hip extension in Michael Johnson's case. And the calf, just like the Achilles, goes across the ankle and the knee. So those two factors, fast twitch muscle fiber, which is genetic, the two joint muscles, which is physiologic, you can't do anything about. The third thing is explosive movement that caused it. That's the only thing that you can change in terms of a coaching standpoint, in terms of a mechanism of injury. And that's what we've addressed, see? It's the explosive movement. And the more elite you are, the less the margin between explosive movement and injury is. Very slim, yeah. Very slim. Versus a slow-twitch person who might have a little yeah. more range. Yeah. Or more, a slow-twitch yeah. person is never going to pull his hamstring. Yeah, they have a lower risk. Yeah, they have lower risk. I wouldn't say never, but but those are the things that that we we try to. Nobody can give you the right answer. I've never seen it written, or when I show this to coaches or athletes, they can't tell me why. We I have been able to, in my own words and my own perceptions, been able to figure this out. And it's based on thirty plus years of experience coming from my dad. But yeah. I will say, if you can, if you can create an athlete, an explosive athlete who can control their movement, proactively educate them, empower them, they'll be safer, and you can foster better techniques, better habits, and in all these chronic soft tissue injuries, from a public health standpoint, will dissipate. The problem is, is if they're willing to listen. If, if well, I was going to say, I was going to say, all the, the athletes willing to listen when you tell them you got to correct, you know, yeah. the way you train, you run, or I mean, I'm sure there's resistance, right? Yeah, right. For a, a lot of times, so all our athletes, it, 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 they're, they're very receptive when they're injured. Sure. It's when you're chronically inflamed and you, we live in a culture where sports, um traditionally has embraced the no pain no gain grit and grind like you have to basically suffer through these things if you want to compete at the highest level because we have so much technology now so many band-aids tech there we can we can actually limit the pain help them recover faster and then teach them how to control it that's the beautiful thing about it. One of the things is, Julian, like like even on your last podcast with the, the guy from Apollo. Yeah. 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 When you asked him, do you asked him, I think a few guys this, do we have any technologies that will help predict injuries? And sure. you guys come up with the conclusion? No. No. No, it doesn't exist, right? Which is absolutely what we're saying. Okay, which we absolutely agree on. So that's why when we say what are our favorite technologies, we, we've looked at all of them and they give us great data. 
but to translate that functionally is difficult. And that's what we, we've focused on trying to decrease load just in movement and control and education and education with the athlete. Yeah. And it, I think it makes sense. Yeah. And, and we've been successful at it where once the athlete understands that, look, these are the, this is, this is how you refine your technique. You shouldn't be counterproductive with your movements. You should be efficient because I've been able to identify the stress point while they move. If we identify and break down the film of Odell Beckham crossing the middle and he wants to catch the ball on a crossing route to plant and turn back upfield, if we can tell him respectfully catch the ball with more leverage leaning forward or break down or decelerate when you plant or break for Kyler Murray with your head, shoulders a little bit out in front, it will limit the stress point on an extended hyper extended knee. So that sure. you will so it, it's the same it's the same application of a Euro step in basketball when you overstride and, and you and you land and tear your ACL. We had a base a, a pro baseball player come in three months ago. He was reaching for first base, hyperextended, uh-huh. planted, and tore his ACL. Wow. So, and we see this with soccer players every month. They're reaching, poking their ball, poking the foot with the ball, and planting on an outstretched limb. Yeah. That's a recipe for an ACL injury. Yeah, so you really have to re-educate them. I mean, but they have to be willing to listen. And that's the key. But at least you identified kind of the root cause of it. Absolutely. So. It's great. Um, well, look, we we are. I know we spent a lot of time on the podcast, so uh, we we at the end of the of the podcast. So I wanted to thank you for your time today. It's been very interesting. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Julian. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research articles and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.